Lord Jesus, on this beautiful morning, thank you so much that we can gather together as a church family to worship you, uh, to, to just praise your name through these songs, Lord, to, to contemplate your sacrifice through this table. And now, Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would be with my words uh, and may them be only uh, what you would have for us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes timing is everything. Sometimes timing is everything. It was Christmas and I was a junior in high school. That year we had decided we were going to travel down to Arizona to see some family for Christmas. And so on Christmas Day we wake up, we tear through our presents as fast as we can, we get in the car and we drive to the airport. Now everybody's got a plan for timing your airport run just right, right? Right? You don't want to get there too late and miss your plane, but you also don't want to get there too early and sit around in the airport for a couple hours waiting unless you just happen to like sketchy Chinese food at the airport. And this morning, I mean, we had just timed things perfectly. We had timed things perfectly. We parked our car, we got through security quickly, and we were going through the airport and could see our gate just as our plane started to board. The timing was perfect. But there was a problem. We passed a Cinnabon. <laughs> Have you ever passed a Cinnabon in an airport or a mall? I mean, I can only assume that they have some corporate strategy and exhaust mechanism to just kind of push cinnamon roll smell out into hallways. And so without even thinking about it, we found ourselves mesmerized by this smell and sitting down to a second breakfast of delicious buttery rolls. And then we heard it, a voice over the intercom, Wallace, Wallace, party of four, your plane is ready for departure. We are waiting for you at gate 27. So we jump up, we, we grab the end of our cinnamon rolls, we run to our gate, but it was too late. We missed our flight. And we get to sit in the airport lobby for five hours on Christmas Day, trying to sing little Christmas jingles and keep ourselves amused. Sometimes timing is everything. Finding just that right, or sometimes just that wrong moment in life can make all of the difference, can't it? Well, we've been studying the gospel of John for some months now, and one of the things that we keep seeing, one of the things my small group keeps talking about, is that Jesus is really concerned with finding just the right timing. He's concerned with finding just the right timing. Through the first 10 chapters of John, the timing has not been right for Jesus to reveal his identity to the crowds. Now, he has told individuals, like Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, who he is, God in the flesh, the Messiah, but he hasn't told the crowds because he knows the moment he does, he's going to be headed to the cross. You see, he wants to spend his time with his disciples, getting them ready to carry out his message of his gospel after he dies and is resurrected. And he knows that that time is going to be out once he lets everyone know who he is. And so the timing is everything. If you remember back to the beginning of chapter 2, Jesus' mother, Mary, comes to him and she says, hey, 
We're at this wedding, we're out of wine. Can you perform a miracle and provide wine at this wedding? But Jesus knows that if he performs this miracle in public and all of these people see who he is, they'll understand who he's claiming to be. And so in John 2, 4, Jesus responds, my hour has not yet come. The timing's not right. And so he does the miracle in secret. And the people are still left wondering, who is this Jesus? Later in chapter 2, Jesus clears the temple of the corrupt merchants. And the authorities who are getting a kickback on everything they sell come out and they challenge Jesus. They say, prove who you are. But he refuses because the timing's not right. And the people are still left wondering, who is this Jesus in chapter 7, Jesus' brothers come to him. They say, hey, this is a great moment for some publicity. Why don't you go to the festival and in front of thousands say who you are? But Jesus, in chapter 7, verse 6, says, my time is not yet here. The timing isn't right. Then in chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. He does it on the Sabbath, so he gets a little bit of trouble. And he's brought before a big crowd, including some authorities, to answer for himself. He has this opportunity to tell everyone who he is, but he doesn't take it because the timing isn't right. So by the time we arrive in chapter 10, people have been wondering, who is this Jesus for years? And Jesus has been responding, my time's not yet right. The timing has not been right for Jesus to reveal his identity to the crowds because Jesus knows that once he does, once he reveals his identity to everyone, he'll be headed to the cross. But eventually, of course, the crowds are getting anxious. They don't like Jesus' timing. So in John 10, 24, we're told this. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. He has them right on the edge of their seats, doesn't he? He has them begging for an answer about who he is. And now in our passage today, the wait is over. The time is now for Jesus to reveal his identity. And so in John 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Who is this Jesus? There's no question left. He answers with this short, simple phrase, I and the Father are one. I am God in the flesh. I and the Father are one. I've held the universe in my hands. I and the Father are one. I had no beginning. I will have no end. I and the Father are one. Are you guys getting this? Are you listening? Do you understand me? I want to be crystal clear about who I am today. The time is now. I and the Father are one. Jesus claims to be God. Now, we've seen John tell us about this claim that Jesus is God a number of times as we've gone through John's gospel. But this is the first time the crowds in Jesus' day are hearing him make this claim. And this is how they respond to him in verses 31 to 33. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? 
We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So Jesus' opponents think that he is guilty of blasphemy. Blasphemy is any disrespectful speech against God. But here, they understand that he's making, they, they think he's making a very specific form of blasphemy, claiming to be God himself. And if you look at their accusation in verse 33, it's fascinating. They say, you, a mere man, claim to be God. The tragedy of that statement is that it's a perfect reversal of the truth. Jesus was not a mere man who made himself out to be God, but God who made himself to be a man. So Jesus is accused of blasphemy, and in Leviticus 24, the punishment for blasphemy was stoning. And so they pick up stones to carry out that execution. But Jesus responds in verses 37 to 39, Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So Jesus doesn't back down. He makes that claim to be God a second time by saying the Father is in me and I in the Father. We're the same person. So if you've been with us since the, the fall, you've been, you've been watching this book, this Gospel of John, unfold, and over and over again, John making sure that we understand Jesus is God. And we've explored this a couple times, but I want to ask two questions about Jesus' divinity that we haven't explored yet as we've looked at this, this statement that Jesus is God. The first is this. Did Jesus ever really claim to be God? Maybe there's a few people here, maybe, maybe you've thought of Jesus as someone who is a nice teacher, a good teacher with some good morals that had good things to say, but that hundreds of years later, some people made some things up about what he had to say. And if that's you, I want to just take a moment to show you that even if you don't believe what I believe about the Bible, that it is God's word, the authority over our lives, even if you don't believe that, you can still know from history that Jesus really did indeed make this claim to be God. History shows that far from a claim fabricated hundreds of years later, the very first Christians worshipped Jesus as God. The second century Greek philosopher Celsus, who was an opponent of Christianity, said that Jesus gave himself out to be a god, that he claimed to be God. The Roman Pliny the Younger wrote around 100 AD, just decades after Jesus, not hundreds of years later, that Christians regularly sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a god. Lucian of Samosata a second century Greek writer who was uh, an antagonist of Christians, said that Christians deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage. These three histori historical sources from the first and second centuries and a number of other ones provide firm evidence that Jesus absolutely claimed to be God because the earliest Christians worshiped Jesus as God. 
And if you were to suppose that Jesus never made this claim to be God, you'd have to explain why he got himself crucified. See, there were a number of good moral teachers and even of self-proclaimed messiahs in first century Judaism who didn't get themselves crucified. So the only reasonable explanation for Jesus' crucifixion is this claim that he claimed to be God. And it is a historical fact proved in two first century Roman historians, Josephus and Tacitus, that Jesus really was crucified. History proves, history proves without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus did indeed claim to be God. And our second question about this claim is this. Why does it matter that Jesus claimed to be God? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because if Jesus is not God, salvation is not possible. None of us humans are perfect. We've all done wrong, and Romans 6.23 tells us that we earn death through our sins, that wrong that we've done. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 4, we're told that only the death of a perfect goat without defect could pay for the particular sin of a particular person, could forgive it. But in Jesus, God's plan and his timing was to offer a sacrifice to stand in our place to forgive all the sins of all of those who believe. But that someone had to be perfect. And only God is perfect. In Jesus' divine perfection, he died a death only we deserve so that we could gain eternal life only he deserves. Jesus is not God. Salvation is not possible. In John 10, Jesus claims to be God. He's waited to make this claim in front of the crowds. And now, for John 10, for Jesus in John 10, the time is now. Timing is everything, and the time is now. But while Jesus waited for just the right time to act, for just the right time to carry out God's will, often we find ourselves in our faith, in our lives, waiting to carry out God's will with no real intention to act, don't we? I think there's something in each of our lives that God wants to tell us this morning. The time is now. What we've seen in this passage is Jesus' perfect timing in revealing his identity to the people, saying the time is now. What have you been waiting on that God might be telling you this morning? The time is now. Don't wait until it gets too late. The time is now. See, often we find ourselves having a bit of a problem. A lot of times as Christians, we know And we have an idea of what God wants us to do in those hard situations, right? That he wants us to act or to make a change in our lives. And while the reality is that sometimes we want to say no, we hide it under a thin guise of waiting. Of waiting. And there are just these times in life where we say, yeah, I'll get around to making that change. Yeah, I'll get around to doing that thing for God but I'm going to wait when really we're meaning I'm never going to do that. And there are other times when we want to put it off. We want to wait 
Because we want to do it on our timing instead of God's. And this morning I want to tell you, don't wait until it's too late. The time is now. A couple summers ago, I had an uncle who was struggling through cancer. And one afternoon, I was getting some work done, sitting at my kitchen table. I got a phone call from my mom, and she said, Darvin, it looks like your uncle's got two, maybe three more weeks left to live. And when she said that, I had this immediate conviction that I should go down and have this conversation with him about God. We had talked about Jesus a few years before, and it hadn't quite took. And I just had this conviction. I, I got to get down there and talk to him. But man, life was so busy, and we had jobs, and we were working on the house, and so I waited for a few days. And I was driving down to Arizona, to Tucson, to see him, and I have a lot of family between there and here, and so I waited a few more days and saw them on my way. I pulled into Tucson where he was, and I waited a couple more hours because we had a good family friend there. Went and got lunch. We were driving back after lunch, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat of this family friend's car. I get another call from my mom, and she says, Darvin, your uncle just died. I waited two hours too long. Two hours. Two hours I waited too long to do what the Holy Spirit had prompted me to do. We don't have as much time as we think we do, do we? Don't wait. What is God prompting you? What's the Holy Spirit convicting you of this morning that you've been waiting to do in your life that you haven't done? Because I want to tell you, don't wait until it's too late. The time is now. The time is now. What's that thing for you this morning? Have you been waiting to reconcile a relationship? A few months ago, a few years ago, you got into a conflict with someone and you haven't put it right. And you know that the Holy Spirit's been convicting you. Who cares if it's your fault or their fault to have that conversation? But we all know it's a hard one to have. And so you've waited to make that call. Don't wait. You never know when you're going to run out of time. Make that call this week. Put that relationship back together. Or maybe for you, you've been waiting to make your priorities the real priorities of your schedule. For some time now, you've just felt this tension in your life. Like if you were to step back and look at your schedule, you'd be able to admit that, hey, work, TV, kids' sports, surfing the internet, this hobby, those are my real priorities. But I want so deeply, I long that God and my family would be my priorities. Don't wait. You've been waiting because you're busy. Don't wait. Get together with your family this week and make those priorities of God and your family the real priorities of your schedule. Make that change. Or maybe for you, it's talking to your kids about Jesus. You've been waiting for that, just, just that perfect time. But parents, we know there's never that absolutely perfect time to talk to your kids about anything serious. And so don't wait. The time is now. Just make a moment this week to have that conversation with them. 
Or maybe for you, it's a sin in your life. Man, you've been struggling against that same sin, that same sin for months, maybe even years. And you know that you can't fight it alone, and it's a losing battle. And you've waited to tell someone, because you know when you do tell someone, a mentor, a trusted friend who loves Jesus, your small group, your Sunday school class, you know that once you tell someone, they'll help you walk that road against that sin. But there's so much shame and guilt involved that you've waited. Don't wait. The time is now. Bring that sin out into the light. Or maybe for you, it's this decision about who Jesus is. That's what you've been waiting to do. You've thought of him as a nice teacher, a good moral guy. And this morning, what you're finding is that that's just not intellectually plausible. Because history proves that Jesus claimed to be God and history proves that he was crucified. Don't wait to decide who you think Jesus is. Don't wait. This morning you've got to make a decision. You should make a decision. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, you can throw out that he lied about being God and knew it because nobody dies for a lie, right? So you're left with two options. Do you either think Jesus was so crazy that he self-deluded himself into this claim of being God, that he really believed that and wasn't, or that he was indeed the God of the universe, the creator of all, and the savior of our souls? And if you're on the fence about that decision, I want you to do something for yourself this week. Go home, you can get online, there's, there's a Bible, there's plenty of Bibles online. You can borrow a Bible from a friend, or if this is where you're at and you're making this decision about Jesus, take one of our Bibles from underneath your seat. Bring it home, and there's four books right in the middle of that Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell the story of Jesus, and in that story, there are over and over again these words that Jesus spoke. If you're trying to decide who Jesus is, I want you to sit there and read those words carefully. It won't take you very long and decide, does this sound like someone who was so crazy that they thought themselves to be God when they weren't? Because if you can't make that claim, then the only option you're left with is that he really was God, that he really was the Savior. And so for my hope for you, if that's you this morning, is that at the end of this passage, some people decide Jesus isn't God, that he is crazy, and they tried to put him to death. And he escapes over a river named the Jordan, and he goes to a different group of people, and he tells them who he is. And in 10, John 10, 42, we're told that in that place, many believed in Jesus. My hope for you this morning is that you would believe. If you've never made this decision, if you've waited for the right timing to make that decision of who you think Jesus is, that this would be the time, that the time is now, that you would decide and believe that he is Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning that we can uh, come to your word and to your table and song praising your name, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would be with us and with our church that you would guide us and, and point us towards you 
always and forever. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.